Miss Yarra, the Bursi. Greetings, heathens. Welcome to Hail Satan. This is the podcast exploring Satanism, culture, and life in general through the eyes of modern Satanists. My name is Joseph Rose. I'm a member of an amazing independent congregation called Satanic Delco, and we welcome members from anywhere in the world. If you want to learn a little bit more about us, visit satanicdelco.com. Today, we're going to continue our thorough examination of the Satanic Bible. First, allow me to acknowledge some of the wonderful Satanists that have chosen to join up with us on Patreon recently. We've got Tiffany, Selena, Daniel, Apollo, Ren, Jonathan, Kane, Steph, Corbin, Adam, Alana, and Sheldon. Thank you guys. I am extremely grateful for your support. Hopefully you have all joined in with the fun on Facebook and Discord and Zoom and everything else. If you have a moment, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. You'll find links to join me on social media, a forum to send me an email, and a link to join up with us on Patreon. We have a few different tiers to choose from with various benefits. That is the most direct way you can support me and this show if you'd like to do so. Visit HailSatanPodcast.com. All right. Once again... I am joined by my satanic life partner, Jerry. I think life, Welcome back, Jerry. I think life partner is more appropriate. What do you mean? You know, you don't have to put something in front of it. Satanic life partner? You why, don't like why, that? Why not just life partner? Well, we are joined here. In, in, under in, the auspice. In Satan. Under, in, in, in your, yeah, in Satan, we are here. But it is a subject. But I think, <laughs> I, I think we, were, we were life partners before. Yeah. Why label it, you know? And we'll be life partners when it's all over. Well, okay. All right. When we (laughs) stopped last time, we had covered the section of the Satanic Bible called the Book of Satan. So that leads us into Air, the Book of Lucifer. There are 12 chapters in this section, and it might be fair to say that this is where the bulk of Anton's philosophy is expressed. Shall we jump right in? Sure, go ahead. All right. Anton starts off the book of Lucifer with a section he calls the Enlightenment. It begins with this. The Roman god, Lucifer, was the bearer of light, the spirit of air, the personification of enlightenment. In Christian mythology, he became synonymous with evil, which was only to have been expected from a religion whose very existence is perpetuated by clouded definitions and bogus values. It is time to set the record straight. False moralisms and occult inaccuracies must be corrected. So we're picking up right where we left off. Anton is leaning heavily into his anti-Christianity theme, and he is again letting us know that he is the one true source of information in a sea of incompetent frauds. One line that stands out to me in this section is, The truth alone has never set anyone free. It is only doubt which will bring mental emancipation. 
to me, this is reinforcing the question everything mentality, the skepticism, which is without a doubt a part of our outsider Satanism. And that was it, basically, for the Enlightenment section. It's just a brief introduction to this section of the book. Any thoughts on that, Jerry? I love that he acknowledged uh, right after you, you stopped right after you did what you did there with the inaccuracies must be corrected, entertaining as they might be. Like that was the line that yes. I, that they, they, these inaccuracies are fun. Yeah. They, it's just a good time. It, 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 pure evil, red devil, horns, all of this stuff. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. The imagery is amazing. And even though, and I'm glad he acknowledged the fact that entertain, it is entertainment first and foremost. Yeah. And, and I'm certain that there's no shortage of people over all the years that would maybe have a similar view toward Anton and his work. Mm-hmm. But, okay, that's to be expected. Uh, The first real chapter of this section is Wanted, God, Dead or Alive. Anton starts out by talking a bit about the way man has always created various different gods throughout time to suit whatever purpose they wanted, rather than an actual god creating man. He points out that, quote, Anyone who thinks of Satan as evil should consider all the men, women, children, and animals who have died because it was God's will. He continues with, It was God's will, my dear, or he is in God's hands now, my son. Such phrases have been a convenient way for religionists to condone or excuse the mercilessness of God. But if God is in complete control and as benign as he is supposed to be, why does he allow these things to happen? I found that these he's in God's hands. Or, uh, he's in God's hands. I do find that to be a comfort. I, I, I do see that it, while it is a falsehood or a falsity, depending on where you what you believe. Yeah. It, the note to think that one of your loved ones, some of you're very close to, is in a better place is a nice way of thinking. Of course, and it, it's it's a comfort. And a lot of that, yeah, depending on who you are, how you think, is not real. And but to say it at the time really helps people. You know. Yeah, these are the the very thoughts that so many of us have that sort of first opens your mind to questioning the existence of God. Mm-hmm. It usually happens when you're quite young, but for some people it comes later. Do you remember a time when thoughts like that began to creep in? I assume it would have been earlier in life. I think going to church ad nauseum, I think the that sort of eroded my faith. Mm. Because the 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 pack, the flock, my sh- the sheep, <laughs> whatever it is, they whatever they called them, uh, they were more catty and a lot more evil in my view than what would be considered the the fictional devil. They were mean to each other. They talked shit. They would uh, excommunicate certain members. They would they would. It was just at that point. And then I did a lot of other thing. I did a lot of drugs in, in <laughs> Sunday school. And, you know, like yeah. and I was like, there's nothing here, and it's sort of like. So around how old were you when you had these thoughts of like, man, I don't uh, know if this shit's real. Uh, fourteen when I realized it was all thirteen, fourteen when it was a social club. Fourteen is when it started to erode. Gotcha. Uh, so Anton continues on, suggesting that we are all essentially responsible for ourselves, and we shouldn't be sitting back and praying to some fake god. He says positive thinking and positive action add up to results. I pretty much agree with him on this stuff. He suggests that praying and confessing are pointless. Of course, I agree. Oh, I find the confession box to be a level of, of therapy. 
You're just you're 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 vomiting on somebody who well, can't tell anybody anything. Well, but going to anything. therapy is sort of a a voluntary action that one takes to you know take oh. control of their well being or mental mm-hmm. health, whereas. You know, a religious confession is like, you better confess or, you know, you're not going to be forgiven for these sins and you're going to burn in hell. You have to be absolved. Yeah. But I would find that as a level of of, of catharsis. (laughs) Come on, Jim. I would just seriously, like, you're sitting there just talking. This guy can't tell nobody nothing. Right. And, like, I would love, I'm going, you know, whatever bad shit I did, I would love to go into a box and just just talk to a dude about it. But he can't say nothing. He's not going to give me advice. And that's what I right. want. Because when I talk, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I just want to be tired. Plus, who is this fucking it. guy? Who knows? Who cares? He's behind the thing. Yeah. Father Rod. Right. All right. <laughs> uh, then we have another bit that we can compare with the Satanic Temple. I like to do that when, when it pops up. Anton says, when a Satanist commits a wrong, he realizes that it is natural to make a mistake. And if he is truly sorry about what he's done... He will learn from it and take care not to do the same thing again. The Satanic Temple's version of that is their sixth tenet, which says people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. So they both state that making a mistake is natural. Where they differ a bit is that TST suggests that one should try to make amends for the mistake if harm was caused. And Anton doesn't really go in that direction. I don't know if Anton was the type of man to go make up for his mistakes or not, but stating that type of thing directly wouldn't really be in line with his whole brand vibe here. Uh, That would be a little too soft, maybe. So I'm on board with it being natural to make mistakes, but I'm also on board with the idea that we should make an attempt to rectify or resolve any harm that we may have caused. After that, Anton explains the different ways that people think of their God. Many different groups, even within Christianity, have different ideas about all of this. The Catholics and the Protestants are a clear example of different groups basically shitting on one another because they differ in some way, just like you guessed it, the Satanic Temple and the Church of Satan. And he points out the ridiculous behavior of praying for those folks who have strayed from the proper version. Anton calls this a simperingly polite way of saying, I hate your guts. Yeah, fuck off. And that might be a bit extreme, but he's not too far off there. And that was basically it for that chapter. Any thoughts here, Jerry? Yeah, uh, one thing, uh, he does do a, yeah, well, also, yeah, when I say bless bless your soul. Yeah. Uh, I'm praying for you. Yeah, it's very passive-aggressive. Uh, fi- fix your shit. Yeah. Get better. But there's also, he does name one thing. Like, he oh, does I'll go, pray for you. I'll pray for you. I, bless your heart, son. Let me do a dumb fuck. <laughs> but the um, the last part is a, he did the whole thing with the heathens. The Christians criticize heathens to worship of graven images. Mm-hmm. At the end, he says, and the Jews have always been given the devil's name. Yeah. And it, it, there is something to that. For sure. It, it is some reason. The Jews are legitimately... Super persecuted. Like, everyone doesn't like the Jews. Listen to this. I don't know if you'd be aware of this, but, uh, man, we're already on tangents here. Guys, I expect this to be a long episode. But here we go. I've been a fan of the Howard Stern Show for for ages. And you probably remember way back in the day he had this Channel 9 show. Yes. Okay? And, And on the radio show, too. But he had this Channel 9 show, which is specifically where I saw this. Often enough, they would have as a guest on their show 
a man named Daniel Carver, I think was his uh, name. Yeah, he was, he a, was a member of the KKK. And, you know, just for those of you who might not be aware, the Howard Stern Show is hosted by Howard, who is a Jewish man, and Robin, who is a black woman. Okay? So a, a Jewish man and a black woman are running the show. And they choose to regularly have on as a guest this member of the Klan, a fully racist, hateful individual spewing all kind of terrible nonsense. On one of these occasions, they played a little game with him, if you can imagine, sort of a game show. And they had this board set up with all different um, groups of people. I, I forget all the specifics, but, you know, they had black people, Jewish people, and maybe gay people and all kind of other things. And they asked him to sort of put these people on the board in order, like prioritize them in order of like who's most hated. And we all think of the Ku Klux Klan being racist against black people. You know, they hate black people. They were the ghosts of Confederate soldiers or soldier, you know, so it was soldiers for the cause. That's why they wear the hoods like that. Yeah. So, Daniel, and th- this was new to me back at the time, I was probably sure a teenager at this time, he made it clear that the Jews were number one mm-hmm. before the black people. And Howard said, I'm surprised. I didn't know that Jews were the worst. Why is that? He said, the Jews are the worst because the Jews are the devil. That's It's a belief system. And- I had never heard that at that age and it was like eye opening like Whoa. god damn these dudes are really just hating it's a thing. everywhere and 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 they are an offshoot of christianity it's just an interest not an offshoot but they're part of the same thing but they never ever get lumped in with baptists with christians and catholics yeah it's always something separate jesus don't even talk about like israel <laughs> and the saudi i mean it's, yeah. just, it's just all right come on we're going to be I'm here sorry. for 9 yeah, hours in this episode it's my fault my, too my apologies uh the next chapter is called The God You Save May Be Yourself. All of his chapters are, you know, wildly titled. I like it. This chapter begins with the line, all religions of a spiritual nature are inventions of man. This is true. He goes on to explain that by worshiping a God that some man created, you are actually worshiping that man. Personally, I think that is a ridiculous leap that really makes no fucking sense. I get where he's going, but no. Worshipping the author. Yeah. Having a feeling or opinion of a fictional character has absolutely no connection to having that feeling about the creator of said character. Oh, I don't it know. just doesn't. I don't know. I mean, it, it, I sort of sort of agree with this. Really? A little bit. A little bit of me says, like, yeah, the, 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 we don't think of Harry Potter. Harry Potter's Harry Potter. Right? Yeah. And then J.K. Rowling, though, still gets the props. I mean, there's an idea behind well, it. Well, J.K. Rowling is uh, ra- rolling? Rolling, Rowling? Rowling. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This lady gets – she's a, probably a perfect example because so many people love Harry Potter mm-hmm. and those characters and those stories. But now people are all mad at her. They love Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but they hate her. But, but I think loving the Harry Potter – loving Harry Potter, you can't – Separate them. Well, you can't separate them. You got what I'm saying. You got to. This is maybe a case of separating the art from the man. We always use that phrase. We do, but it's 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 hard for me personally to do so. To separate? Separate the, the art from the man. And that's just me being. Imagine, imagine not, if we hated so. the work, the creative mm-hmm. output of every artist and of any medium who turned out to not be a great person. 
a lot of them aren't. We would have no art left. I, like I learned, Kurt Cobain was sort of a repugnant human being. In his, <laughs> Stop in, it, Jerry. Anton suggests that it makes more sense to worship a god of your own creation. And, and right, I agree with that. He states that man needs ritual and dogma. But no law states that an externalized God is necessary in order to engage in ritual and ceremony performed in a God's name. Now, I disagree that man needs ritual and dogma, but I think it's fair to say that many people enjoy or benefit from ritual and dogma. And I agree that there's absolutely no requirement of an externalized God to engage in ritual. We all sort of know that over here in uh, Team Satanism, I guess. Um, Basically, this chapter is just explaining that man creates all gods, so really the power is all held within us, so rather than worshiping the fake god, just turn that attention and adoration to yourself. In true Anton fashion, he ends the chapter with, until that day when he may come forth in splendor, proclaiming, I am a Satanist, bow down, for I am the highest embodiment of human life. <laughs> and with that, Jerry, my eyes rolled so far back into my head that I actually died for a brief moment. Um, I understand what the man is getting at, but goddamn. That's so dramatic. It is. So dramatic. And to, go, and to go back to something, just and, yeah. I, and I won't do it. I won't keep doing this. Go ahead. But uh, I found this to be something that somebody created a god. A god can do all things man is forbidden to do. Mm-hmm. He can kill people, perform miracles, gratify his will, control without any apparent responsibility. It's like you created something that you want to be living vicariously living vic- through this crazy fake god. It's like god, it's like Darth Vader. <laughs> yes. Like I want to be Darth Vader. He can do all of these things. You know, it'd be powerful. Do all of this and. And in, 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 then there's a set of rules that said you can't. This is the only thing that can. But the guy who wrote it wants to, not wants to, but would like to be able to do all of these things. You yeah. know, you want to be a god. But yeah, it yeah, could. sort of fantasizing yeah. through the storytelling. It's like being a a, a, a minotaur in D and D. Like and I look, want to have four legs. Every every artist does it right. Like every uh, Stephen King. Yeah. You know, he writes terrible stories about characters that do wild shit. You know, mm-hmm. and. You know, Stephen King doesn't do those things that we know of, no. uh, but he lives it out through, you know, whatever. And I'm not saying, you know, Stephen King is like some evil mastermind no. living vicariously, but he's using those human feelings and fantasies and things. And, you know, and sometimes inanimate objects, mostly cars and trucks. Yeah, yeah there's a lot because of that. Because that's the embodiment of human life. That's right. I fucking love that. <laughs> All right. Our next chapter is Some Evidence of a New Satanic Age. He begins this chapter. By going over the seven deadly sins. We already covered that stuff at length, so I won't go over it again here, but he basically explains in greater detail than before how these sins are beneficial, and so the Satanists should indulge in them all. After that, there's a lot more of the anti-Christian rhetoric. He goes on in every which way, pointing out perceived hypocrisies and fallacies of not only Christianity— but also practitioners of witchcraft, particularly those who claim to practice some form of white magic. He elaborates with this passage. During white magical ceremonies, the practitioners stand within a pentagram to protect themselves from the evil forces which they call upon for help. To the Satanist, it seems a bit two-faced to call on these forces for help 
while at the same time protecting yourself from the very powers you have asked for assistance. The Satanist realizes that only by putting himself in league with these forces can he fully and unhypocritically utilize the powers of darkness to his best advantage. On one hand, it is absolutely ridiculous to stand in a pentagram and genuinely call upon supernatural forces to help you. It is. But is Anton also being ridiculous? Yes, he is. To me, this stuff is just page filler, basically. If you're going to spend a book telling people that it's useless to pray and call on supernatural spirits, you might as well dedicate a chapter to telling people not to hold out hope for the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Those things are no more obviously ridiculous than the others. They're all the same. Um, Moving on a bit in this chapter, there's one longer interesting passage that I wanted to look at. It says, It is one thing to accept something intellectually, but to accept the same thing emotionally is an entirely different matter. The one need that psychiatry cannot fill is man's inherent need for emotionalizing through dogma. Man needs ceremony and ritual, fantasy and enchantment. Psychiatry, despite all the good that it has done, has robbed man of wonder and fantasy, which religion in the past has provided. Satanism, realizing the current needs of man, fills the large gray void between religion and psychiatry. The satanic philosophy combines the fundamentals of psychology and good, honest, emotionalizing, or dogma. It provides man with his much-needed fantasy. There is nothing wrong with dogma, providing it is not based on ideas and actions which go completely against human nature. Okay, there's a bit to unpack there. First, I do relate to the importance he places on wonder, fantasy, and enchantment. When we touch more on the concept of magic, we'll talk more about that. However, I don't agree that man needs ceremony and ritual. Maybe it's only a subtle disagreement. I don't know. Anton tends to work in extremes. And so, as usual, I see a bit of truth in what he says, but I think he tends to skip over a more nuanced position. I looked at it as uh, just don't lose your dinosaur. Keep a wonder you know, because this is all very based in human fact and and, yeah. and brutal truth. Uh, but I do like that it's acknowledging the fact that you know why not daydream and think of neat things. You know, yeah, yeah. And we're so going like, to talk more about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And before, I f- as a side note, there was a line in that passage that says Satanism, realizing the current needs of man, fills the large gray void between religion and psychiatry. I can't offer you any definitive proof right now, but I do believe that was the inspiration for the name of the Satanic Temple's Gray Faction. There are countless bits of this book, the Satanic Bible, that the Satanic Temple has taken some direct inspiration from, and that's kind of fun, I think. Anton moves on to tell us that you should act upon your natural instincts, and then if you cannot perform without feeling guilty— Revel in your guilt. I disagree. Me too. The outsider Satanism take on this is that many of us enjoy feeling a little naughty, right? 
saying or doing something that is maybe a little bit inappropriate or taboo. I'm with that. But at the point that you feel actual guilt, that means you've done wrong. That means you've crossed the line of your own moral standards, and that, to me, isn't a feeling to revel in. And to close out this chapter, the last paragraph says, So why not have a religion based on indulgence? Certainly it is consistent with the nature of the beast. And I am totally down with that. Levian Satanism and outsider Satanism have a somewhat different view of what that means or includes. I am fully aligned with indulgence, but for us, it does not include reveling in things like guilt or cruelty. Um, what are your thoughts on this one, Jerry? If Satanism is the only religion known to man that accepts a man as he is, and this is really the that. That is the deal. That is the whole deal. In in a nutshell, in a concentrated form, in that orange juice (laughs) ice cylinder that you have to, you know, that is it. It it, it just sort of assumes man is man and and don't do what you don't want to do and do what you want to do. Yeah, reveling in guilt, if you become hardened to that, if you become like, I feel bad, but if you start getting used to doing things like that, you will become a colossal piece of shit. Absolutely. You know, guilt is there as a barrier to... For yourself, you know, some people feel less guilty about other things. Yeah, the feeling of guilt is not. I mean, fun. that acts like a natural sort of defense mechanism or or something. Don't I do mean, that again. Like, yeah. you don't, when you feel guilty for something, you generally don't want to repeat it. Yeah. But if you repeat it over and over, I actually I have an example of this, and I know this is going to go long. Sure. I was a <laughs> I was a Section Eight property manager. Oh yes. And I had I had, I had to do um, I had to evict people. I was a low man in the totem pole. I kept on evicting people. No one else would do it because it's so it's so miserable. You're telling people you have 15 minutes to leave a house. You got 15 minutes to pack up your shit and go. Mm. A lot of people because they're not paying. You know, sometimes they just wouldn't pay rent. So this is like right. a, a four month process. But no one felt like doing it, so I had to do it. You know, they send a sheriff in there, and the sheriffs are. <laughs> It's the easiest part of their job because usually the the sheriffs are transporting prisoners. Right. So they would go in and and then they would say fifteen minutes and I change the locks while people are crying. I did this maybe like fifteen twenty times guilt until I just couldn't take it anymore. I just broke. Specifically in in this role that you're describing, you would do it, and even though it wasn't your fault at all, you didn't do anything wrong. No, you were just doing your job. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as we know, these people for lack of a better word, they deserved it mm-hmm. because they didn't pay the rent or they didn't meet their end of the deal. Right. And so you weren't doing it. You were just doing your job, and yet still you felt guilt. There were children involved in all that. Yes, yeah, yes, of course. And and I, I totally relate. I, I surely would feel the same guilt. Mm-hmm. But I think, based on what we know in his writings at least, Anton in that position would revel in that guilt. If, if he even felt the guilt, because he would say, well, this is social Darwinism. Mm-hmm. This is stratification in effect. Right. You guys didn't live up to your end of the deal, so fuck you. Right. Out you go. And look, that's not wrong. It's a, it's, it just it's, completely lacks compassion. No compassion. And that's what I was about to say. Like If I kept on doing that, I would have been hardened to the fact. Right. And it was just not a uh, hill I wanted to climb or die on. I, yeah. I, I'd never wanted to be that person. Eventually, yeah. it led to me leaving. Right. Because it's just, it was, it was an emotional. Yeah, that's uh, not a fun job. Dude, it sucked. It was an emotional break. And so 
guilt was there and it actually helped me become a better person. Yeah. So like, I don't exactly agree in reveling in guilt because you will be, that can lead to some really dangerous, dangerous habits. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not with it. Mm -mm. Our next chapter is called hell, the devil and how to sell your soul. (laughs) Anton begins this one by reiterating his satanic statement saying, Satan has certainly been the best friend the church has ever had. And he has kept it in business all these years. He goes on explaining how the church relies on its big bad guy to threaten people with and keep everyone in line. One additional line that I enjoyed here was, Satan represents opposition to all religions which serve to frustrate and condemn man for his natural instincts. I dig that. He spends even more time railing against the so-called magicians of the right-hand path. I find this to all be a pointless waste of time for people who don't believe in supernatural fantasy bullshit. He then moves right into a section called the four crown princes of hell. He spends pages and pages just listing a bunch of words or names that represent the devil from various places around the world. This was the satanic version of Genesis begats of the Bible's Genesis and then begat, begat, begat. And I was like, look, I was reading. I was like, holy shit, this is, this is, this is happening to me again. Cause I try, (laughs) I read the Bible and I'm like, I'm reading through the whole thing. I'm like, Oh no, (laughs) it's happening. Go on, go on. Uh, Basically aside from a historical curiosity, there is nothing of any real substance in this section. That's not to say that Anton's version of all this history isn't interesting. You may find that it is, but as far as Satanism or his philosophy goes, there is really none of that here. No, this is all video game villains. Yeah. He, <laughs> really he ends this chapter with, So, if evil they have named us, evil we are. And so what? The Satanic Age is upon us. Why not take advantage of it and live? And again, I think this is a case where I connect with that statement for sure, but I may interpret it differently than Anton. What do you think? I, I when I read this when I read this the first time, like the first couple of sentences, I was like, all I could think of was uh, Tim Curry's legend. I love you it. Know, at the end when that. he's sitting there holding onto the rock, yeah, there is no good. I was like, man. Let me was... tell you that that film, Legend, guys. If you haven't seen Legend, I forget what year it's from. Maybe nineteen eighty six or so. That is my favorite depiction of the devil mm-hmm. ever on film, or it, really in any media. You know, Tim Curry is so great in that. The visual, mm-hmm. all of it is incredible. The dialogue I love. Oh, it's just his voice, too. And it, it was his voice. A, it, it was a almost sympathetic version of, for sure. of that character. Yeah, there's a bit of that, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's a, it, God damn, he looks so great. He looked great in it. The makeup was fantastic. The horns are massive. Yes. Well, what was he called? What was what was he called in... Technically, in Legend, I think he's called Darkness. Yeah, it was Darkness, yeah. yeah. Like, so I know that you just can't call him the devil. And yeah. any good villain always has their it always thinks they're doing the right thing. Of course, yeah. And then the unicorn horn. Uh, all right. Next up is love and hate. Anton once again begins by reiterating one of his satanic statements, saying Satanism represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. You cannot love everyone. It is ridiculous to think you can. If you love everyone and everything, you lose your natural powers of selection and wind up being a pretty poor judge of character and quality. If anything is used too freely, it loses its true meaning. And yeah, I think I agree with all that. 
he gets back into the never turn the other cheek business, which we already <laughs> covered at length. Uh, so to me, there's really nothing new or deep in this one. Right. No. I mean, you start hitting the last chapters of this of of the book of Lucifer, mm-hmm. you're finding that you're re- reading the first ch- chapters of Book of Satan. Well, yeah, he started out in the earlier section by giving his satanic statements, mm-hmm. and he didn't really elaborate very much on them in that section, and in this section he does. He sort of goes back to, I don't know if he touches on each one of them, but most of them, and sort of well, talks more about them. It starts with the seven deadly sins being reiterated, yes. you know, and, and I... I, I it, well, yeah, it just and so I kept going. I did like that clothes are considered pride. I'm yeah, sorry, not to go back to that chapter, no, no. but it's like at, at, when you adorn yourself with something, you're committing a sin. Yeah, right now my flannel is torn, and, my, <laughs> my, and I'm wearing work boots. You should be ashamed. There is no pride in what I'm doing. No. I am sin free. <laughs> uh, all right, our next chapter is satanic sex. Yes, always a fun topic, I suppose, but the most thoughtful chapter. You think so? I think one of the most thoughtful and tolerant chapters in this book. Sure. Anton writes, Satanism does advocate for sexual freedom, but only in the true sense of the word. Free love in the satanic concept means exactly that. Freedom to either be faithful to one person or to indulge your sexual desires with as many others as you feel is necessary to satisfy your particular needs. Satanism does not encourage orgiastic activity or extramarital affairs for those to whom they do not come naturally. I know some folks to whom extramarital affairs do come quite naturally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a thing that uh, I, there are some people I've met in my working life that I didn't know were married until the company picnic. Yeah, and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> the the message that Anton really drives home in this section is when it comes to sex and sexuality. Be yourself. Don't force yourself into monogamy if that isn't what works for you. And don't force yourself into promiscuity, polyamory, or any other type of sexual situation if that isn't what works for you. He goes on to say, The Satanist realizes that if he is to be a sexual connoisseur and truly free from all sexual guilt, he cannot be stifled by the so-called sexual revolutionists any more than he can by the prudery of his guilt-ridden society. He adds, Satanism condones any type of sexual activity which properly satisfies your individual desires, be it heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, or even asexual if you choose. Satanism also sanctions any fetish or deviation which will enhance your sex life so long as it involves no one who does not wish to be involved. In case you're wondering, Anton is also pro-masturbation. He actually puts quite a bit of focus on that in this chapter. There are no real surprises here. I think my views on this stuff line up with Anton quite well. The outsider Satanism stance on this is essentially be yourself. Do what you like with adults who choose to do it with you or by yourself, if you like. Now, Jerry, tell me all about your sexual feelings. My sexual feelings? Fantastic. Do it all the time. <laughs> I believe in it. Yeah. I, in fact, I we talked about Howard Stern again. That was when I was my most honest. That's when I learned that it was okay. Oh, but yeah. Coming from a religious background, that's a bad thing. You don't want to keep doing that. Don't right. indulge in that. 
Right. Do I believe? I believe. Now we should. Anton tells us that we should indulge. Yeah. But without compulsion. Not compulsion, but if sometimes I have to go to bed. You don't want to compulsively master. No, no, I don't want to go out in public or be on a bus and do it. No, certainly not. No, but like, and then there's, and then as far as my feelings on sex, I say go do what you got to do. My this really, if if I believe this panic, satanic panic thing, Mm. you could have doled that down had ever had people read this chapter. This chapter, so. this chapter was like, do not beat on somebody who doesn't be beaten. Uh, you know, you, you think of Satanists, you think, like you said, a pulsing just pile of bodies. You know, <laughs> like, 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 ew. Like, Is that with, what you think of? With blood and fire everywhere, yeah. you know? And that's what, no, but that's not, that was the... I mean, look. in fairness, we usually only do that on the weekend. All right, during a, a Wehrmacht or whatever the fuck you guys do. But the, um, <laughs> no, the, you have this vision of, of hedonistic... The goat heads and t- yeah. and perky boobs. That's not the case. Uh, it's it's it. That might be some sect of it, but yeah, this would have put not this, everyone's boobs are perky. This would have been. It, I wish they were. This would have put a, a lot of a lot of you know, fallacies to bed. You know, yeah. you, you think that you're being chained up, and now you're gonna be beaten into submission, yeah. and you're gonna have a pentagram carved into your chest, and you're wow. gonna fucking learn to love it. But that's what the religious religious sect thought. Yeah. That's what the Christians and all that stuff. So if you saw any of the videos I had to watch when I was in church or Sunday school, you would assume that you guys did all of this. Ritual sacrifice, orgies all the time, you know? It's yeah. only not, it really, really not for nothing. It wasn't until three years later, three years ago, that I really realized that this wasn't a purely evil society. <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> I mean, I knew you. I thought you were evil all the way through. And that was when you were in high school, even before you got into this shit. Yeah. You don't have to keep that in. All right. Uh, <laughs> our next chapter is... Not all vampires suck blood. Again, we begin this chapter by reiterating one of these satanic statements. Satanism represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. We covered psychic vampires in our episode on the satanic statements, but Anton explains that psychic vampires are individuals who drain others of their vital energy. This type of person can be found in all avenues of society. They fill no useful purpose in our lives and are neither love objects nor true friends. He goes further to help us identify these people, saying, Is there a person you often call or visit, even though you really don't want to, because you know you'll feel guilty if you don't? Or do you find yourself constantly doing favors for one who doesn't come forward and ask, but hints? Often the psychic vampire will use reverse psychology, saying, oh, I couldn't ask you to do that, and you, in turn, insist upon doing it. Essentially, psychic vampires are people that take and take and don't seem to offer anything in return. They require extra energy and effort from you. In many cases, they will try to make you responsible for them. For example, and you know, this is one that I've mulled over a bit, and I don't actually know that I agree with this. I've kind of discussed it with a few people, um, but it was just an idea that came to mind. If anyone has ever suggested something like, oh, you should have put a trigger warning on that, perhaps are they a psychic vampire? You are responsible for your reactions and things out here in the world, not me. If For whatever reason, you are too fragile to handle the types of speech or behaviors that humans commonly partake in, you need to be responsible for yourself and insulate yourself if need be. 
we can't expect the world at large to bend to our needs as an individual. It's our responsibility to fit ourselves into the pre-existing world as best we can or in whichever way works for us. This is what do you think? This is manipulation. It's 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 shell shock from manipulation. Is that does that feel, you know, based on whatever understanding you have of of what a psychic vampire is, do you think that example fits? Because I've been on the fence about it. It was a random one that came to mind. And I've kind of debated it back and forth. I think it's anybody who wants to get their way uh, on a uh, on a, from the high ground. Yeah, you know, I mean, it makes and they are putting their responsibility essentially on to someone else, right? You make make them do something without actually making them do something. This is very, this is really direct. In its in it's this this psychic vampire thing seems to be uh, somebody who's just going to suggest something, and you do it anyway. You're compelled to do it. Yeah. It sounds like this was a personal problem that had that he had at one point, probably. Uh, and also, but there are people. I like mean, that. I think all of us it can relate. And it, war, yeah. Again, I'm a fucking car salesman. You know, <laughs> right. you know I mean, I, <laughs> right. I, I, I'm obviously I've obviously, obviously used these tactics, but that was for something what for something that somebody wanted. Mm. So it's not like I'm doing anything. I'm not manipulating anybody into doing something that they didn't want or have to feel compelled to do. They weren't going to do it anyway. Man, I I think this is more of a young person's issue. Somebody who doesn't yeah. have the confidence. Because uh, if somebody was to sit here and I kept on doing something I didn't want to do over and over again in my in my age, in my 40s now, I would say, fuck off. I, I can't keep doing this. Sure. But that might be a personal thing. And this might be a teaching moment for people who need it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, well, yeah. We mature as we get older we become more accustomed to different types of social right, situations. Right. High school. This is a high school situation. Yeah. And we also, I think, we, you know, between me and you, we must have mentioned it at one point. As you get older, you do uh, sort of progressively give less of a fuck. For sure. Uh, all around. Right. You've seen some old people. Old people don't give a fuck. No. You no, know? They don't. And that is, that's maybe the only benefit of getting old. And if you see, <laughs> if you, if you see someone who does a lot, you feel bad for them. Yeah. You're like, oh. I can see myself as the vampire. I try to put our our work relationship into it. I can see you as a vampire. How fucking dare you? I can see you. You 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 can't deny it. And, I will and I bite can, you right on the neck. And I can, you'd have to bite me emotionally. All right. And then I can see it. I can see myself doing it to you. Yeah. So I've done it. We've both done it to each other. We both sucked each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's dig in a little more here. Anton writes. There are times, however, when the psychic vampire will not release his hold so easily and will do everything possible to torment you. They have plenty of time for this because when once rejected, they will neglect all else, what little else they have, that is, to devote their every waking moment to planning the revenge to which they feel they are entitled. For this reason, it is best to avoid a relationship with this kind of person in the first place. Their adulation and dependence upon you may at first be very flattering and their material gifts very attractive, but you will eventually find yourself paying for them many times over. And Jerry, let me tell you, man, that passage rings so very true. In my years of leading a satanic congregation and being very active generally in satanic circles, I've come across far too many of these people. They love you. They think you're great. They flatter you and make all kinds of offers. But man, as soon as you tell them no or fail to give them what they want from you, 
it all turns rather quickly. Um, I've found that people often like to victimize themselves. They paint themselves as this fragile little innocent creature. These folks are the opposite of what a Satanist should be, which is responsible for one's own actions. So yeah, fuck psychic vampires is my stance. <laughs> Pharmaceutical salesmen. The worst oh, yeah? people in the world. But we'll, that, that's for another show. All right. Go on. Uh, our next chapter of the book of Lucifer is indulgence, not compulsion. Let me give you the very beginning of this one. The highest plateau of human development is the awareness of the flesh. Satanism encourages its followers to indulge in their natural desires. Only by doing so can you be a completely satisfied person with no frustrations which can be harmful to yourself and others around you. Therefore, the most simplified description of the satanic belief is indulgence instead of abstinence. Right off the bat, I agree with this sentiment. Mm -hmm. Indulgence plays a central role in outsider Satanism. It's a perfect example of Satanism being, at times, diametrically opposed to Christianity, where Christianity often places great value on abstaining, our Satanism places great value on indulging. Also, it should be noted that nowhere in the canon of the Satanic Temple do they advocate for indulgence. It simply isn't part of their tenets. Surprises me. Yeah. Because the Catholic Church used to sell these. Yeah. You you can buy indulgences. It's, it's funny That's that right. it's out of TST. Yeah. Nowhere nowhere to be seen, but even the Christian religion realizes the necessity <laughs> yeah. of indulgence. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, man. Um, I don't think we need to go too deep on this one. The repression of one's natural desires is harmful and unnecessary. Well, you look at it. Right? I mean, we talk about Catholic church. You look what's happening with Catholic priests. Yes. You know, yeah, these, yeah these, we've, these, we've talked about these, it. Not these poor guys. These poor fuckers. No, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but these guys, they, they, a life of abstinence, that is in their thing. They abstain from everything. Yeah, that does not go well. It, you, yeah. And it's in the news. So like, it, there is a necessity for some level of indulgence in human life. It's natural. Of course. Unfortunately, the most devious ones are the sexual ones. But uh, your indulgence in, in cheesecake and— I had a discussion just recently with someone about sort of this topic, the idea of indulgence. And at first they disagreed that indulgence should be a central focus or, or whatever, but they were conflating it with compulsion. And we've talked about, you know, Anton talks about the indulgence without compulsion. And there is definitely, those are two separate things. It's almost addiction. Compulsion leads to addiction, and then it That's right. A, a, That's a right. Problem. So, yeah, compulsion is not good. We want to be in control of ourselves. We want to be able to find a healthy balance. And to completely abstain, to force yourself away from your natural desires and pleasures is not a healthy balance. Right. That's in, not going to work not. out in the long run. And again, in, just because of the writing, and in the middle of this, it says don't hurt anybody. Yeah. In the middle of this brutal thing where kill the weak, blah, 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 blah. Don't yeah, hurt right. anybody doing it. Right. <laughs> don't hurt anybody while you while the weak are while you the, kill the in a ditch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with them on that whole vibe. Indulgence instead of abstinence. Emancipated have left normalcy only to transcend into idiocity. <laughs> love the fucking writing in this book. He, anything in caps, Anton LaVey writes, read it. And read it while yelling. Yell it. As he does it, it a lot. He does it often, and it's so awesome. Yeah. 
All right, on to our next chapter. This one is on the choice of a human sacrifice. Mm. I like to read the very beginning of some of these chapters just to give the vibe, and this one wastes no time. The supposed purpose in performing the ritual of sacrifice is to throw the energy provided by the blood of the freshly slaughtered victim into the atmosphere of the magical working, thereby intensifying the magician's chances of success. It's if you roll like seven twelves with your <laughs> or <die>. something. <laughs> he then gets right into even more bitching about white magicians again. I don't know which white magician broke Anton's heart earlier in life, but he wastes a surprising amount of energy railing against did an he, inconsequential group of people. Didn't he play a carnival? He was a carnival organist yes. or something like that. So he must have met one white magician. I, I, I apparently, apparently it left quite an impression. Broke his heart. Uh, beyond that, this chapter talks about the type of people that are deserving of being sacrificed as part of your ritual. But... When Anton talks about destroying or sacrificing them, he isn't suggesting that you actually go kill this person with your hands. In true Anton style, he's suggesting that you place a curse on them, of course. Mm. His primary message here is sort of an extension of the psychic vampires theme. He's saying that there are all kind of people who will fuck with you, get in your way, and cause any number of problems in your life. And these people will often have excuses for their behavior. Some of the examples that Anton lists are mental illness, nervous breakdown, maladjustment, anxiety neurosis, broken homes, and sibling rivalry. Anton's official stance on that is basically, fuck your excuses. If you fuck with me, I'm going to destroy you. He ends the whole chapter by saying, if people had to take the consequences of their own actions, they would think twice. And man, as much as I do roll my eyes at his delivery sometimes, he is not wrong. No. Of course, there are layers of nuance to be considered, and not every situation is the same. But generally speaking, people need to be responsible for their actions. Am I going to do a ritual to place a fucking curse on someone? No, because I'm a reasonable adult with at least a partial grip on reality. But the overall message is legit. Mm -hmm. What do you think of this chapter? I thought it, I, I took it for what it was. There is no such thing as curses because he already said all this. This is all, it's all poppycock. But he, uh, <laughs> but I, what I thought. That's of, a word that I could see Anton using. This is poppycock. Now I, um, I thought of what his version of destruction was more or less akin to Kaiser Soze and usual suspects. Like that's the type of sacrifice that he wants to do, you know, where he just crushes Gabriel Burns character. There's no, there's no Coke <laughs> on the boat type shit in it, but it's such a ma it's such a masterful plan yeah. that everyone involved suffers. And that it's, that's the curse that I think that he was trying to convey. I don't, I tell me if I'm wrong. Because that's sort of like what it is, a master plan. I mean, plan. some of it gets fuzzy with Anton. You know, there's, I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but I know there's examples. Like the most famous one, Anton placed a curse on the partner of Jane Mansfield. He had maybe a thing with this Jane Mansfield, and she had this relationship with a guy that he didn't like and didn't approve of the relationship. He put a curse on him. They had a car crash and died. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was an awful accident. And uh, he's like, well, yeah, I, I have put a curse on him. Now, look, did the curse 
caused the accident, which took the man's life. Jane died in that too. Yes. Yes, that's right. Uh, If I were a betting man, I would suggest that no, it wasn't the curse. But look. In my youth, I cursed many. And it went nowhere. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll still curse people. Mm. I don't think it means anything. I don't think it does anything. Right. But it's fun. And just in case, I'm going to try it. <laughs> I'm going to try it anyway. I like, But I, I never do it outside, and that's the problem. I think curses only, can't go through any type of insulation or plaster. Oh, really? So you got to do it outside. Outside only. Yeah, dude, because if you do it inside, uh, fucking more. Now, does the person it? you're cursing have to also be outside at the same time? No, 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 no. Or no. will it hover around and wait for them to come outside? Nah, it's like a cruise. Ma- <laughs> it's a heat seeking. Heat seeking missile. It's gonna wait for them to come out, and then it once gets I, them. Once I put it in the cloud, you ever see the Care Bears movie? It's like oh, that. You sort of upload it to iCloud. iCloud. Now that I have an iPhone, I'm totally capable yeah. of cursing many yeah. all at once. So I'm just yeah, gonna yeah. go outside, like, hey, no more erections okay. for you. Wow, Jerry. Okay, you can still get hard. Thank you. Um, <laughs> next up, guys, we have a chapter called "Life After Death Through the Fulfillment of the Ego." This chapter is about aspects of life and death, of course. Anton's view is that life is great, or at least it should be, and that death is to be avoided. That may seem like stating the obvious to many, but I suppose it isn't true for everyone. Anton writes, death in most religions is touted as a great spiritual awakening, one which is prepared for throughout life. This concept is very appealing to one who has not had a satisfactory life But to those who have experienced all the joys life has to offer, there is a great dread attached to dying. This is as it should be. It is this lust for life which will allow the vital person to live on after the inevitable death of his fleshly shell. We've talked quite a bit about the general goal of living your best life, and this is more of that. An indulgent seize the day type of mindset, which I can definitely get behind. At the end of that last passage, he said, it is this lust for life, which will allow the vital person to live on after the inevitable death of his fleshly shell. He doesn't really follow up on that part specifically, and I wish he would have. I suspect what he's saying there is that the vital person, which is often a creator of some kind, is able to live on through their legacy, through a lasting body of work and accomplishments throughout their life. Um, I've got some more to look at from this chapter, but has any of that stuff stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, it's like that whole, uh, do you want to talk about, and it was that movie where, in El Canto, I forget what it was. It was a movie about the, uh, where you only get three generations and then you're forgotten and then you can't go to heaven. If you're oh. forgotten. So that's what I took it as as well. It's a legacy of sorts. It's whatever you leave by stories, uh, people around campfire laughing about you or talking about what you did. That's the that's the eternal life that you're looking for. And or if you're an exceptional creative person, like you said, it'll last significantly longer. Yeah. Like we talked about Jean's Man, Jean Mansfield. She's been dead forever. You yeah, know? So, yeah, yeah. But she still lives on. Yeah. You and know? Anton. So, Anton too. Like we're still talking. He's dead. Here we are. All right, oh, Here we are in he, part it, three of this shit. He's he, been dead. He's been dead this whole time? Yeah, he's dead. I thought we'd have an interview with him at the end. I was hoping, but mm. it turns out he's, well, he died in I, the 90s. Can we do this? Is Don't you guys have something where we can... 
<laughs> yes. Can we reach Anton? Oh yeah. my God. Imagine the followers. Yeah, you have. we will bust out the old spirit board, if you will, and we will call <laughs> Anton. Board. I'm going to go to Target right now and get the spirit board. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> On our next episode, guys, we will talk to Anton. That would be great LeMay. if this whole five part series ended with an interview with the corpse of <laughs> Anton LaVey. Yes. Wow. Um, Where's the, he buried anyway? I, I believe he was cremated. No. Is that right? I could be lying. I don't remember. Um, the next passage that stood out to me is young children are to be admired for their driving enthusiasm for life. This is exemplified by the small child who refuses to go to bed when there is something exciting going on, and when once put to bed, will sneak down the stairs to peek through the curtain and watch. It is this childlike vitality that will allow the Satanist to peek through the curtain of darkness and death and remain earthbound. I just highlighted that section because I really liked it. Mm -hmm. You know, I often think about that childlike sense of wonder and adventure. I think it's really important to hold on to as much of that as we possibly can. Mm -hmm. That's something I'm very conscious of in my own life. Sure. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't want to bring up, I'm not trying to kill that with some stupid movie, but the stepbrother, <laughs> stepbrothers. You love movie references. Stepbrothers, stepbrothers, don't lose your dinosaur. Yes. You know, you never yeah, lose your right. dinosaur. And it, it, But this harkens back to the man needs fantasy and wonder. Yes, it all fits it, in. Childlike, you know, the, the, the bombastic. Do, do what's yeah, I on. talk about that a lot. I, I, I probably mentioned it on the podcast, maybe in some of my drug episodes, psychedelics or, or drugs or cannabis, any of those, because I feel like that childlike sense of wonder and adventure, all that stuff, I feel like that is really important and for me, those things, along with music and, and other things, really just help me to keep a hold of some of those things, remind me a bit of it, and help just help inject that into my life a little bit. Um, in another passage in this chapter, he touches on the topic of suicide, stating, unless death comes as an indulgence because of extreme circumstances, which make the termination of life a welcome relief from the unendurable earthly existence, suicide is frowned upon by the satanic religion. I have mixed feelings about this one. On one hand, yes, we should all live life to the fullest. We should live the type of life that makes us want to keep the party going for as long as we can. But in reality, that just isn't going to be the case for everyone. I certainly don't encourage anyone to take their own life. But in the spirit of bodily autonomy, I do think that we have the right to end our life and we should be free to do it without religious shame. If I had to solidify the outsider Satanism stance on suicide right now, it is live your life to the fullest, of course, pursue joy as often as you possibly can and if one inevitably chooses to end their own life, that is a choice they are free to make without shame or guilt. That being said, usually if you are in that headspace and it's never a, like a pleasant thing, or unless it's always been planned or it's something, it's some rich, I don't know. Usually the best things come out from the darkest things. So, I mean, like suicide to me is like, I don't think it's an easy way out because that's a heavy decision. And I, yeah. I sympathize, but uh, I, yeah, I imagine, look, I've never killed myself, No, but I imagine people that do, 
they probably didn't take it lightly. No, not I can't at all. imagine they were having a great time and just being, you know, flippant with it. Mm-mm. You know, it's probably part of a real struggle. Yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to say to somebody who's who's in that headspace and be like, "Yeah, it's always darkest before the dawn," because that's right. just going to fall on empty ears. Or it, sometimes it just doesn't work. Yeah, but uh, you know, I just if anyone's out there thinking that it sucks now, wait till later. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> no, but I mean, uh, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying, like, it's yeah. going to get better yeah. or, also, or worse. Just, just for the record, guys, <laughs> Jerry's views and opinions do not represent I, uh, the. House I don't want to kill my. I, I mean, listen, man. There's been plenty of times I've been like, "Fuck all this," you yeah. know. But I, I just don't no. I'm with you. I've been I've been you know, right there. You, you know, know? So it's just like it's like yeah. Just 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 wait it out. It's going to suck, or it's not. Or not. Just keep it going. Just keep it going and see what happens. You're going to do something. Right. Just, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, that we, ends we that have, chapter. We have our various <laughs> viewpoints. Um, is everyone still with us? Are we long here? We're, we're no, really we're digging into this. You're fine. We're nearing the end of the Book of Lucifer. The next chapter is Religious Holidays. This chapter begins with the highest of all holidays in the satanic religion is the date of one's own birth. Oh, yay. I like this. I'm always a bit skeptical of all of these bullshit made-up holidays. We're supposed to care about some day that's based on essentially nothing at all or based on something that has nothing to do with us whatsoever. Keeping in line with celebrating the self, I think that one's birthday probably should be the most important. If life is supposed to be this exciting journey, what the hell? Let's celebrate the anniversary of our life. Keep Christmas. All right. Next up, Anton tells us that after one's own birthday, the two major satanic holidays are, now listen to this pronunciation, Jerry, Valpurgisnacht. 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 All right. Uh, I hear a lot of Walpurgisnacht. And stuff out there, but uh, I, I think we're trying to say Valpurgisnacht. Valpurgisnacht. Uh, <laughs> so it is Valpurgisnacht and Halloween. Let's start with the Valpurgisnacht, which falls on April 30th. He tells a whole version of the story of St. Valpurgis. Do I care about this character? Um, no, I do not, Jerry. She has no relevance to my life whatsoever. However... Anton chose to use that night, April 30th, to officially start the Church of Satan. So it is for that reason that I find that date notable and worthy of celebration. It is the birthday of modern Satanism. And that's worth something. It is. It, it, it should be something. I mean, it, it, is there a birthday for the Satanic Temple, the TST? Um, sort of, but they don't celebrate it. Mm. That's not one of their religious that, holidays. That would be an indulgence. Yeah, they don't mention indulgence. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, they th- don't. They don't celebrate their own birthday. So you get four twenty, and ten days later, you get four thirty. <laughs> there you go. Valpurgisnacht. <laughs> That's right. And then, of course, we have Halloween. Did it begin as a fire festival in Britain? Was it a night when young people performed magical rituals to determine their future marriage partners? Or was it a pagan holiday? Everyone always says that everything started as a pagan holiday. Oh, it's always that, man. Here's the truth. I don't care. I've never been to Britain, and I'm never getting married. I'm a Satanist, and I live in the here and now. And when we celebrate Halloween nowadays, it is a celebration of the dark, 
the macabre, and most importantly, a celebration of indulgence. Children, and even some of us adults, will take this opportunity to collect and shove all kinds of indulgent treats into our mouths. Many young adults will dress up as what the kids call a slutty nurse, or a slutty firefighter, or a slutty Satan, or whatever, and all of that is okay. So yeah, Halloween feels like it belongs on my list of satanic holidays. After that, he just talks a bit about the solstices and equinoxes, which are cool, you know. Um, Do you care about any of this? My mom's a Wiccan. I get a lot of these neat things. You know, okay. She just she does a lot of the solstices. She's into the seasonal things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's nice, and I and and really the just being outside near a fire. Do, do you do you know or suspect that she goes out and does any type of like ritual celebration on these occasions? She she goes out. Uh, I think she has maybe a couple people she talks to, and they they go out and they they, they really just bullshit. I don't know what they do. They get I, naked I, in a pentagram and do some wild shit. Couldn't really fucking tell you. Yeah, I know they had a uh, Wiccan ceremony uh, for their marriage. That's right, my, my stepbrother, right. and I and that was fun. You know, that was cool. And, and so like, I don't think there's anything naked. I don't think my my mom my mom my mom wears sweaters all the time. She's man, naked. You know, I bet with these things. If my mom's nude, that's fine. Good for her. Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, if that's what she wants to do, I'm going to go to one of your mom's rituals. Yeah, that's fine. You might, you might be surprised. <laughs> I bet I really would be surprised. Be, it's really just going to be people smoking Marlboros <laughs> and throwing cigarette butts into the fire and talking about like how much they like snow. Right. I mean, what's, wow. yeah, it's going to be a great time. Yeah. Fuck snow. Mm. Uh, all right, Jerry. Well, the last chapter that was the penultimate of the Book of Lucifer. This one is the Black Mass. He begins by writing. No other single device has been associated with Satanism as much as the Black Mass. To say that the most blasphemous of all religious ceremonies is nothing more than a literary invention is certainly a statement which needs qualifying, but nothing could be truer. He goes on to describe in great detail a wildly blasphemous and disturbing ritual scene, and then explains that Such propaganda was invented by Christians to justify the eradication of people like the pagans, Cathars, Templars, and some others. He even gives us a brief origin story for the concept of kissing one's ass, if you can believe it. Mm. Um, Here's a nice informative passage. A black mass is not the magical ceremony practiced by Satanists. The Satanist would only employ the use of a black mass as a form of psychodrama. Furthermore, a black mass does not necessarily imply that the performers of such are Satanists. A black mass is essentially a parody of the religious service of the Roman Catholic Church, but can be loosely applied to a satire on any religious ceremony. A good portion of the chapter goes on telling a bit of history and yet again, complaining about the white magicians that Anton is obsessed with. Uh, overall, I found this last chapter to be kind of aimless. There's some decent information and opinions in there, but it's really kind of all over the place. Um, Jerry, do you have any thoughts on this final chapter or the book of Lucifer overall? I think I, from what I've seen in some some documentaries and also the black mass. He's done this. He's, he's had a black mass and Anton. Uh, Anton. Yeah, oh, of course. Done, uh, yes. it's, it is. It is a parody. 
And now that you read more about it and know the cat, know the cat a little bit, he's sort of making fun and lampooning it. But, but back in the day, no one would have known that. They would assume that this is what the fuck is happening, you know. And then that's where your satanic panic. Yeah, comes the, in. the casual onlooker doesn't find the nuance of parody. Not at they're all. just like, oh no, they're doing evil. No, but if you had John Cleese, there's you, naked you, people. But I mean, you, and again, yeah. I I didn't get into the details. Well, I just said he detailed this ritual. Right. He described some wild shit. Sure, for fellatio and all that shit. But if you had like Monty Python, that's why I said I didn't want to leave that John Cleese. If John Cleese was there, then it's a legit. <laughs> yeah, then it's okay. <laughs> then it's okay. But like, if you had Python doing that type of thing for scene, it would be funny to look at. Yeah, like it would be just funny hearing like, and we all celebrate, you know, and whatever they're doing. But like, it's you can't tell with him. So from the outside looking in, this is all evil. You know, yeah, every bit of this is evil. But coupled with this chapter and the sex one, you would have a softer version of what you think you're looking at. It would be like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, it takes a lot of, I don't know, selective editing or curating these things, mm-hmm. which which is essentially what we're doing. Right. You know, as I think I talked about it toward the beginning when we started getting into the Satanic Bible in the first episode there, part of my motivation for doing this is sifting through some of Anton's philosophy to just, I don't know, more thoughtfully find the bits that I do agree with and carry with me into my Satanism and you know, identifying the parts that I don't, that right. that I discard. This would take the edge off. Yeah. It would take the edge off for a lot of people if they just read the book. And, and who's going to pick up the Satanic Bible? I get it. <laughs> a but lot of people. A lot of people did David. <laughs> was it David? We're not David Duchovny. The fucking uh, cannibal. The Jeffrey cannibal. Dahmer? Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, yeah, yes. that guy. Yeah, yes. yeah, he had a copy. <laughs> what? What made I, you I don't think know why of I thought David Duchovny? Because he's part of the Illuminati and he's eating babies. All right. <laughs> All right. David Duchovny. Question everything. They are out there. Well, Jerry, uh, listen. Like, oh, read this and then you'll be better. Thank you for joining me once again. All right. Um, Is this it? I'm done? No, you are not free. I just thank you for joining me on this episode. Oh, what a great time. Guys, I don't know what the future holds for the rest of our Satanic Bible. In my mind, we have one part left, but you just never know. We get into it, we get to talking, we get to reading, and who knows, uh, but I really want it to be just one more. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drag this out and cover the Satanic Bible for the next 17 episodes. Uh, thank you all for bearing with us, but yeah, I would love to wrap it up in the next part. We'll see if we can know. do that. I think we should do a whole 80s movie references show. Well, I'm sure you'll see to it that we do. Uh, guys, if you have a moment, please visit the website at HailSatanPodcast.com. I'd like for you to stay safe out there and Hail Satan. Shipping at the table three, Sir, 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 Sir,